keep singing it. And it goes back to the 80s. Our name Keith Green died in a plane crash. That was a very popular thing. His wife wrote that song, but says a lot about, I guess, me too. We can back up that far. <coughs> Great prayer. Well, happy Father's Day and to you guys. I'm going to ask if you're a dad if you would um, stand for just a moment. We want to recognize you. I, I appreciate appreciate godly men. I think we make more impact than we realize. I hope we do. It's not an easy job to be a parent. I think most of us half the time feel like we're failing because it is such a hard job. It's such an humbling thing to find yourself a dad. And you know, as they say, they don't come with instruction manuals. And if they did, the manual would be out of date for the next one because they're, they're not the same. So I want to thank you for you guys. Oh, thank you, Samantha. Thank you for doing that, for passing these out. And I'm going to, after scripture reading, I do want to pray for you guys as well. But I also put that together in our reading of scripture. So we're in Luke chapter 8 this morning. I'm going to ask for your assignment. If everybody just stands as I read the text from Luke 8, starting at verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Just then, a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about twelve, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. I'm going to drop down with me to verse 49. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Let's pray. God, we are grateful that you bring life, Lord. And we're thankful for a godly dad like Jairus who had to be humble and had to come get help at a place where his peers said, don't go. Father, help us in a world that doesn't recognize you as Lord ashamed of you, but to welcome you into our lives, to set the example to our families and those around us. God, we need you, and we ask, oh God, that you would work in our lives. I pray for these dads here, Lord. Help us be the men you made us to be. Help us see Christ 
and that others may see Christ in us as a result. In your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> you know, I got kind of touched as I was sitting here thinking another Father's Day. My dad's been gone since 1987. And, uh, man, I still fiercely miss him. And one of the, you know, people say, you know, when you get to heaven, who do you want to sit down and eat with and all that stuff? Well, Dad's high on the list. I look, I look forward to that opportunity. And by the way, I never knew either one of my grandfathers. They were already uh, dead by the time I arrived on the scene. And, and I am grateful that God has allowed me to see a grandchild, Atticus Snavel, of his grandfather. What a blessing to serve the post of dad or granddad. And uh, I know not every story is good. And thankfully, whether our memories of dad and granddad are good or bad, we got a heavenly father. And those memories are good because he's good. You know, when we look at Jairus, he was desperate. His child was, was ill, was dying, and something had to be done. And so in his desperation, he went to see Christ. I, I think of some uh, times I have four children, and thank God they're all s still here. Um, my daughter, when she was in college, she's always been a little too... Uh, I call it courage or crazy, but she went caving uh, in college with a friend, and she went into the ground in this cave, and it started raining, and um, her lantern went out, and so she was in the dark, and they were literally scaling muddy walls to get out of this, to get out of this cave, and I didn't know about it until she sent us a text, and they were covered in mud. We're safe. Anyway, I'm grateful y'all are safe, but man, okay. And then my oldest son, he was delivering pizza for Domino's one night. His car got stuck on the railroad tracks, and the way we found out about it was my uh, other son, Matthew, told us Nathan just got hit by a train. Well, that's not what happened, thank you, Lord. What happened is he his car got stuck on the tracks. He got out of the car, couldn't do anything but watch his car get smashed up. But thankfully, he was able to get out of the car. And then my son Matthew was in a wreck where if you could see the car, it's one of those things you think, how could anybody have survived that? And all four people in the car did survive. Uh, thank you, Lord. And then my youngest son, um, when Cindy was pregnant with him, uh, the doctor said that they thought he had a, a disease where um, a child lives, but the organs don't fully form and only lives for a couple of days and then dies. Um, so thankfully, none of these things ended up taking the lives of any of our children. But you know, that's certainly not always the case. We all know somebody here, or maybe you're that person, who has faced that kind of pain and that kind of unexpected loss. 
And, and that is the kind of guy that we're looking at today is Jairus. He's got this 12-year-old daughter, and he desperately, desperately needs help. And he's, he's seeking help in, in a place that's, that's tough for him. I mean, you got to remember, um, as a desperate guy, you're willing to do anything for your child. And Jairus was a synagogue ruler. He was a religious teacher, and his job was, you know, to pick the guy that read the, the scriptures, to pick the person who did the prayers, to make sure that the sanctuary was in perfect order, that it was all organized so that people could come together and seek God together in worship. That was Jairus's job. And many of the religious leaders, the Pharisees and others, as we know, they didn't get along with Jesus. Jesus was a threat. Jesus was a problem for many of his peers. Matter of fact, as you know, many of them plotted together to get rid of Jesus, to have him executed, trumped up on false charges, which we know eventually would happen. But Jairus was unashamed to seek Jesus. You know, it's interesting to me, unlike Nicodemus, he didn't go in the middle of the night. He went where everybody could see him. Look what it tells us in, in verse 40. It said a crowd welcomed him. So there's people all around Jesus pressed up against him. And here comes Jairus, the synagogue ruler, and he fell at Jesus' feet. He was desperate, but by falling at his feet, he's recognizing Jesus as more than just a country preacher, as more than just somebody who has these crazy claims that aren't true. He recognizes him as someone who can literally save his daughter, someone who can heal her, someone who can meet the need that he had, the greatest need of all in his life at that moment, was to rescue his precious 12-year-old daughter, and he worshipped him. Not where nobody could see him. He fell at Jesus' feet amongst a great crowd of people in his pain. And he didn't send his wife. He didn't send a servant. He didn't send someone else, you know. He came himself before Christ, unashamed to enter his presence. Guys, we, we live in a day where many people just don't seem to have time for Jesus. They're chasing after golf balls, but not chasing after God. They're chasing after trout, but not chasing after Jesus. And I'm not against any of those things, but they're not going to fulfill you like Christ. They're not going to meet that, that deep heart need. And he came to that one place where he could find hope. And think about how difficult that must have been for him. Um, when the, you know, there's this interruption He's got to wait. I mean, it's kind of like, my daughter's dying. I mean, you come out of nowhere, lady. I need to have this conversation with Christ. And, and of course, this woman had her own deal. But Jairus is thinking, I was here first. I was first in line. You broke in line. What are you doing? You know, he's, he's hurting as he has to wait with this interruption. And he knows that his time is limited. And then he hears these words from a messenger. She's already dead, Jairus. Leave the teacher alone. 
But I love what Jesus has to say to him. And some powerful things. It says, hearing this. Isn't it good to know that Jesus hears too? Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. In other words, uh, if, if you look at the you know, actual Greek language there, just the training, he's saying, keep believing. I know that you came here in faith. I know you fell at my feet. I know that you are afraid. I know that you are desperate, but you are taking the right step by coming here. Keep on. Keep on placing your faith in me because that is the only place you can really go through the thick and thin. Just keep believing. As Eugene Peterson, the guy who did the message paraphrase, writes, the long obedience in the same direction. Just keep it up. You're creating a legacy. Number two, um, she saw a dad that brought Jesus home. Now, it's interesting. I don't know if you noticed here in the text. Uh, look at verse 51 again. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go with him except Peter, John, and James and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her as she thought of her death. But you know what? He wasn't alone. If you remember back at the start of this text, we were introduced to the fact that the crowds are almost crushing Jesus because they're pressing in against him. And so can you imagine? Jairus goes home with all this crazy stuff, and he says, oh, honey, by the way, um, with everything else going on, I brought 450 of my friends who were following Jesus. They're going to come in the house because they go everywhere Jesus goes, and they are desperate too. And so it, it's this crazy time as there are all these people pressing in. And he brought Jesus with him. That's funny. And, you know, it's a challenge to each of us. It's one thing to come to church and worship Jesus. It's something else once we leave the church to go home and invite Jesus into every area of our lives, including our families and our homes, and how critical and how crucial that that is um, to be willing to do that you have to remember like I said the peer pressure was certainly against him the people in the community could have said how can you believe that Jesus don't care he's Jesus doesn't he know that that's not good for his job future doesn't he know that the, the other guys are not seeing eye to eye with him, and they're the ones who can give him the promotions. You know, they said things about Jesus like he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners, he's a glutton, he's a drunkard, he's an illegitimate child, and he does miracles by the power of the devil. But yet, he wasn't concerned about the peer pressure around him. He was concerned about the fact he was... He was coming clean, and he was coming honest before God. And when you really meet Christ, 
You see, he's, he's more than just a, a crucifix that you hang around your neck or a picture that's on the wall or, or a Bible that's used to have a family memorabilia stuffed inside of it. Um, Jesus is your best friend. He's your Lord. He's your God. He's the one uh, that's with you. And we live in a crazy world. We, we live in a world of, of screens that have so much influence, TV screens, computer screens, phone screens, and in a world that um, certainly is not excited about Jesus, but excited about many other things. And a calling as a Christian dad is that we have, we have to have a courage to lead and to say, listen, this stuff is empty. It is not going to fill you. And to provide a, a real faith, not just something that happens a few minutes a week, but something that makes a real difference. James 4.4, 4, James says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone then who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And we don't even realize that when we choose not to follow God, we're really choosing to be his enemy. So we, we have a call to not be ashamed. We have a call to bring Christ home. And this is something that you don't just do once or twice. Man, it's a lifetime of following Christ. I listened to, I've been listening, I listen to some different preachers. I've been listening to this guy, some named Robert Morris. And he was talking about, uh, Pastor Morris was talking about eating lunch with uh, Jack Nicholas golfer and he, he said that uh, Jack Nicholas told him he said you know I won a major event uh, all but one year a major golf tournament and he said that year I didn't win any title no big golf tournament he said I was really bummed out and so I went to my golf instructor and I I said I need help and he said my golf instructor said when a golfer is stressed, he reverts to his natural swing. And so uh, Jack Nicholas said, hey, teach me to play golf as if I've never seen a golf club, never swung one. Teach me again so that I'll get rid of those bad habits and that bad swing because I don't need the old natural swing. I need the right proper swing and technique. And we need to keep going back to the Heavenly Father who is perfect because we revert back to our natural state, to a nature that leaves God out and is not in His power and in His strength. And, and we have to go to Him. He is our guide. He is our instructor and a, a part of our life. And part of bringing Him home is, is man, it, it's just that time with Him each day of reading the scriptures, of praying and being with some Christians who really love the Lord and, and serving God and loving other people and all of those disciplines that make us who God intends us to be. And that's all part of bringing Jesus into the home. Day after day, it all matters. And then thirdly, she saw a dad who expressed his love for his kids. Um, in verse 51, he says, when he came in the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and the mother girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, do not weep. 
He's not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him because they knew she was dead. Why would Jesus say that? Well, in the scriptures, you remember with Lazarus? He came late and said, oh, if you'd come sooner. And Jesus said, he's, he's just sleeping. Why? Because death is not the end as far as Jesus is concerned. We will awake in his presence and we will be more alive than ever before. I actually had a, a friend, I was talking to Sunday school, kind of like a mentor. I don't, I don't have a lot of time, so I won't get into it. But years ago, um, uh, we would see this guy, my friend Barry and I, we'd, we'd see this guy like three times a week, and he was a, a part of our lives. He's a great guy. And he called, and, uh, and Barry had said, uh, he's just wanted you to know he's, he's died. And I wrote him back, and I said, like it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 4, it says, when our mortal body goes through that passage, we are swallowed up by life. And that's where Doc Bowen is right now. Swallowed up by life. Man, that's, that's the trump card. I'm not trying to be political in saying that. That's the, <laughs> that's the victory part that we always have in, in the Lord Jesus Christ as, as he brings that power. And, of course, he, he brought healing with that little girl, uh, and, you know, you think about it, um, she died when she was 12. Although it was a short death, Jesus raised her from that death. And she spent the rest of her days, we don't know how long she lived. I don't know how many years after that. But she lived with the knowledge every day that she had a daddy that loved her enough to be there this time. Okay, I have something different for what time I've got remaining uh, Cindy and I, a couple of weeks ago, <coughs> did something very scary. We cleaned out our garage. And uh, it took a while. And we found things we didn't know we had. It's amazing what you have in your garage if you haven't cleaned it out in a while. And so we tried to do it right. And as we were cleaning out the garage, Cindy pulled this old yellow piece of paper out and started reading it. Like, what is that? And it took a while, and we realized <laughs> it was written from a daughter to her dad in one of the churches that we had served. And I, I didn't put it together at first, and it, then it hit me. It was Malachi, go for it. And Malachi had one, I don't know how else to express it, he had one of those fetal benito mustaches going on. You know, you remember the kind of deal. And Malachi was cleaning. They had a picnic shelter at this church, and he got up on the roof to, I don't know, doing something up on the roof of the picnic shelter, fell through the roof and died instantly. And, but anyway, this is from his daughter, Nancy. It's kind of long. I meant to not be quite as long in my preaching as to read this, but I, I thought, man, it's always worthwhile to hear a story message about a godly dad so this is from nancy about her dad today is a day that the lord has made and i will rejoice and be glad in it because my daddy taught me that you treat every day that way so i'm here to treat this day as a celebration of my dad's life and i will rejoice and be glad in it everything i ever need to know about life my daddy taught me 
My daddy taught me that God has all the answers, but sometimes you have to sit down, shut up, and listen, or you won't hear the answer. My daddy taught me that if you can't figure out exactly how God wants you to fix things right then and there, that's, it's okay. Use duct tape until God reveals his plan. <laughs> My daddy taught me how to smile. A smile is worth more than a million words. His smile was enriched by his handlebar mustache. I know you're picture. That's probably when I figured this out. <laughs> I know you are picturing it now because I see you smiling too. But my daddy never taught me how I could grow one of those handlebar mustaches, and I guess daughters it's called. Uh, I'll always wear my daddy's smile. My daddy taught me that all of God's creatures are to be valued, loved, and cared for, and we definitely had a lot of creatures. Trigger the pony, Betsy the cow, Brownie, Tootsie, and Freckles the dog. Me and the cats with no name. <laughs> Renee the groundhog and Mr. Crow. But there were two exceptions to this rule, squirrels and moles. You can love them, but you don't have to take care of them, especially when they keep messing up your garden and your birds. My daddy taught me that if you plant seeds, they will grow and grow until you have enough food for the whole family, the whole church, the whole neighborhood. And if there's some still left over, just put them out by the table at the road with a sign that says free so others can have some too. So Meredith and I plant the garden for Paul, but neighbors, friends, church, family. Sorry, I can't plant enough for the whole world. Only Daddy could do that. <laughs> My Daddy taught me to love everybody but you do not have to love them equally because there are a few, he was a Republican, okay, a few Democrats. And there, if you are a Democrat, he would say to you, I won't hold that against you. Okay, well, my daddy taught me how to keep restless little children happy. Just act like a kid and kids will play with you. So he had ghost story snipes, a train made out of a lawnmower, money growing in English walnuts and candy trees. My only question is, Paul, where was the candy tree when me, Kathy, and Cheryl were growing up? Daddy taught me that there's nothing more dear and precious than family, even those son-in-laws who are always being silly and about who is the number one son-in-law. <laughs> Daddy taught me if you have a problem, you get a DuPont, don't say it, write it pad. And you make two columns, and then you list pros and cons, and then you cipher on that a while. And then if you still can't solve the problem, then you sleep on it. And then if you still can't solve the problem, just ask Paul. <laughs> he has the answers. Um, my daddy taught me that a single word can make a powerful impact. He taught me to choose my words carefully because once they're said, it's hard to take them back. He taught me that a single word could change tension, tears, fear, or any negative situations in a positive moment. He taught me that if you don't have a word that performs this special magic, you could just make up a word. So old Fritz, this one is for you, Pa, said no after snapping, and it's time to chop chop, which really means I love you, cat, get on with it for life. <clears throat> My daddy taught me that a walking stick and a walk up the top of the mountain can clear your mind. He taught me to take that walk and to treat that walk in that day as if it were your last. And he took that walk during his life up the streets of Saluda, up through around the miles of machinery at DuPont, in the world of clothing. <laughs> it says, um, with his nephews, nieces, Boy Scouts, youth group, or anybody else who could talk join me with him, up the halls of 
rest homes, up the aisle to collect the offerings, ring the church bell, up the beaches of Normandy, up to Mama Justice pretending to be Santa Claus, up the path to see family, up Main Street for shopping, and up the ladder to fix the roof and then take that last step up the hill. Let's pray. God, uh, we thank you for Malachi, but thank you for all the dads here today. Thank you for the lives impacted by these men. Even when we don't realize it or understand it, we use us anyway. God, what do you want to do among us this morning as we think about importance in a world that doesn't see you, feel, see others see you in us? God, do your work among us, Lord. Draw us to you. Father, be known because the world needs to know you. And Father, may we not stand in the way, but may we be, Father, the messenger or workers here in spite of it. In Christ's name we pray.